Thank you, Phil. And uh, before I am, um, I'm just aware that if I start getting to the talk and after some chatting to people, I might forget, and it would be awful if I did, to say happy birthday to Catherine Stickland. It's her birthday today. So I'm going to say that now, and then, I, uh, then I'm okay. Um, let me just get this going. There we go. Brilliant. We're ready to go. Um, I'm really excited about this morning and um, to get to preach on generosity, on giving. Um, I'm really excited because um, I think Jesus' teaching in this area is some of the most liberating and life-giving, and personally for me, some of the most transformational teaching I've ever heard. I think it's some of the most significant moments in my discipleship, and it's been around this area of giving. So for us as a church, I think today could be really significant, but I think for, for many of us as individuals, today could be really significant. Uh, and I think it's so important, <coughs> forgive me, I think it's so important because the reality is, for, for all of us really in this world, is money and uh, is sort of our lives intertwined with money everywhere, every part of our lives money impacts along, uh, uh, impacts on. And uh, for myself, I know that uh, I didn't always get excited about this kind of thing. When people got up at the front, I either kind of got, uh, if, I'm, if I'm honest, a little bit defensive, because my money's my money, isn't it? It's mine. And, um, and it gives me a sense of security. People talk about financial freedom. It gives me a sense of control. Um, and that I'm safe, and that I'm okay. Of course it does. And so I kind of would immediately slightly go on the defensive and already start making some excuses in my mind around the area of money and giving. Or I had a time where um, I was a student or I was a young person, and I said, well, I haven't really got much money, so there's no point in me even tuning in because I haven't got much to give. And um, I began to realize over time that that didn't make much sense when you read what Jesus said about giving as well. So I'm really excited about today. You know, Jesus, um, other than preaching about the kingdom of God, he preaches about money more than almost anything else in the Gospels. Out of 38 parables, 16 of them are about money. He sees it as really important. But he sees it as really important not because he's after our money, but because he's after our hearts. He knows that our lives are entwined, intertwined with money. He's not interested in money. He's interested in you. He wants you to be financially free. And he knows that isn't, you don't get there by gripping tight onto stuff. You get there by beginning to release the stuff that God gives you. Uh, so much of the time we can, because we see security in it, because we see power and control in it, the instinct is to do this, is to tighten our grip on stuff. But the problem is, and this is a spiritual reality, whether we like to admit it or not, is the more we hold on to and grip onto stuff, our stuff, the more it grips onto us. The more we learn to do this and to give it away and to trust our Heavenly Father, the more free we get. And it grips us less and less. And um, Jesus knows this. He knows this. And so in today's passage, he gives us uh, a warning. He gives us a warning, he gives us an instruction, he gives us an extraordinary promise. He says to this guy um, uh, in our reading, if you follow along in your Bibles, it says, therefore I tell you, he says, do not, I know, a bit, bit earlier on, start a bit earlier on. 
He says, watch out, verse 15 of our reading. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This guy's come up to him basically and he's saying, you need to convince my brother to give me what I'm owed. I need more stuff for my inheritance. And he's saying, be on your guard, be careful. At the heart of that question is a real problem. There's a problem there. He says, be on your guard. Because he knows, verse 34 at the end of our reading, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so he's warning us. Look at this man. This man, he begins um, in uh, the parable that Jesus tells. Verse 16. The ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. It begins with an abundant harvest. He has more than he could possibly need. And because he grips onto it, and he talks about my grain and my barns to store my surplus grain, I'll say to myself, it all, his world, you see, the tighter we grip onto stuff, the smaller our world becomes. The tighter we grip onto our stuff, the smaller our world becomes. It becomes about my needs and not other people's needs. My priorities rather than God's priorities. My kingdom rather than God's kingdom. The tighter we grip onto the stuff in our lives, the smaller our world becomes. And this guy begins with an abundant harvest, and he ends having a conversation with himself entirely alone. The tighter we grip onto our stuff, the smaller our world becomes. And so Jesus warns us. And if you remember... um, Nothing else from this talk, which could be quite likely. I want you to remember um, this phrase. I've nicked it from a friend of mine. But he said this, and it really struck a chord with me. He said, your spiritual need to give to the church is greater than the church's financial need to receive it. Let me say that again. Your spiritual need to give to the church is greater than the church's financial need to receive it. We need to realize that what Jesus is after here, what I'm after here, is not your money. I couldn't care two hoots about your money. I care about your freedom. I care that this stuff doesn't control your heart because Jesus needs to control your heart. And that's where you'll find freedom. That's where you'll find peace. So be on your guard. Do not worry. Give generously. You see, the antidote to greed isn't poverty. It isn't just give everything away so that you're poor. It's be generous. Generosity is the antidote to greed. And the more we are able to give away and to be generous, the more it will kill the grip that money has on our hearts. I, I know this. I've experienced this for myself. My, my wife, Michelle, is further along on this than I am. She's, in, she's incredibly generous. I'm embarrassing her. She's out with the kids. But whenever it comes to us to praying about our finances and where we're at, and how much we can afford to give, or rather, how much we can afford to keep. <laughs> um, she's always the one that stretches us a bit more. She reminds me of a, a, another guy, Archie Coates, who he gave a talk once on giving. And he said, my wife and I, we, always, we do sit down and we work out how much we think we should give in a season. We work out how much we think we can afford to give, and then we give a bit more. Because it's the principle of stretch. It's the principle of faith. And we have to get away from this idea that it's my crops and my grain and it's mine. It's not. It's his. 
God says to this man, he says, you fool, your very life's going to be demanded from you tonight. Your life is in God's hands. How could we think that the stuff in our wallet is ours? Every breath that we're given is a gift from God. So there's this warning. Now, I used to, um, as I say, I used to um, have all sorts of misconceptions um, in this area of giving. And um, Jesus says, after the warning, he gives instruction. He says, he says, fundamentally, don't worry. Don't you trust that your heavenly father is a good heavenly father? Look how he looks after everything else in the world. Do you think he wouldn't look after you? If we're not generous, it shows that maybe we don't trust that really we'll be looked after. I used to think of um, uh, giving in church as almost like, um, it's like a church tax. <laughs> it was an obligation. I, kind of, I know that there's some upkeep and there's some stuff to keep going. So you come in, you think, well, I, it, I suppose it's fair enough. I spent some time there and I, I used some of their resources and I, I, I come midweek to this event. And, so it's probably fair enough that I pay my way. And, uh, and you see it as a tax. I want to say, if you see it as a tax, you'll never give in the way that God wants you to give. If you see it as a tax, I want you to stop your giving. If it's an obligation to you rather than a privilege, I want you to stop your giving. God isn't interested in it. He doesn't want it. What he wants is your heart. We'll give in a totally different way if we see it just as a, as a tax. You see, if we start thinking like that, we start thinking a little bit like, um, almost like you're chatting to your tax advisor. Like, um, how can I shift around my savings, put this much in this? How can I do it? Is this, do I think about my giving to church? Because there's this tithe, there's this 10% thing, okay? That's a helpful principle. But actually, in the New Testament, Jesus seems to talk about generous, overflowing, abundant gifts. It, the, if anything, the tithe is the baseline. It's where you start. Even in the Old Testament, actually, the tithe is just the baseline, and there are free will offerings and other things on top of that throughout the year. So some people think about, okay, 10%, and this is how much I should give. And before you know it, the conversation can be, right, right, 10%, but is that before tax or after tax? Because that can make quite a difference. And is that before the mortgage goes out or after the mortgage? What about the holiday? What about the mobile phone? I can't live without the internet. So does it go, what about, do I do that before the internet broadband payment goes out or after? And before you know it, what you're really saying by asking those kind of questions is, what is the least I can give and still be a generous giver? <laughs> What's the least I can possibly give but still be counted generous? If that's the way we're framing the argument, don't you see there's fundamentally a misunderstanding of what's going on here? It started to shift for me because I was the worst in this way. Actually, if I'm being honest, testimony, personally, I got stung a couple of times with um, investments or savings that went south. And, and then uh, I tried to give generously once to uh, a couple of homeless guys, and, and that went wrong. And I realized that my heart started to harden because of that around this area of money. And where it started to shift for me was, I, I remember um, one Sunday, I could even tell you roughly where I was sat back at um, HGB, a church I was at. And um, it wasn't even a talk, a giving Sunday. It was nothing to do with it. But someone got up and shared their testimony. Th their lives had been completely changed by Jesus. They'd been in an alpha course. It was one of these testimonies. And their life had been completely transformed. And I had this moment where I felt God whisper, if you give, you're part of that. 
And I thought about, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student. I've got hardly any money. I survive on baked beans so I can afford to go <coughs> snowboarding. For, you know, I, I haven't really got much disposable income. And, and there was this principle that God couldn't... It was like, no, no, no. If you give, you are a stakeholder in every single life that is changed in this place. However small you may think, you, however little you think you can give, you are a stakeholder. When that person's life is changed, when that marriage is transformed, when somebody receives prayer ministry at the front and is released into greater freedom, when toddlers are enjoying life and uh, safe in a church building, when the poor and the lonely are receiving help in multiple ministries, throughout the world, you're a stakeholder in that. You're an investor. This isn't a tax, this is a privilege, and this is an investment. And I began to see, and it began to change in my heart. I remember another time, stood at the back hearing the story of uh, a guy I knew, actually, he was an ex-offender, um, quite a famous ex-offender to the police. And um, he, his life had completely, been completely changed by the first alpha course that ever ran in prison. And they were doing this testimony. They got him up, and they talked about his story. And then they got his dad up, who was in prison for the same crime with him when they became a Christian. Um, they were known to the Cray brothers in the East End. They were proper criminals. And, um, they, they, and his dad's life was changed. And then he got his wife up, and his wife told how Jesus had changed her life. And then bit by bit, it was his brother and his family, and his sister and her family, and the cousins. And then they got their daughter up who when he gone into prison, I've got to be careful here, when he gone into prison was a three, three, three years old, hardly knew her dad. And she'd become a Christian. Her life had changed. She was about 17, 18 or something there. And at the end they asked, what difference has Jesus made to you? And she just said, I've got a dad. I remember being at the back of that room in floods, just like, Jesus, if I get to be part of this, I am all in for the rest of my life. I can't believe that you would give me the opportunity to invest in something like that, that I would be able to be a stakeholder in that. I can't believe I'd have that privilege. Something started to change. I used to come to church. I started coming to church saying, how can I help? How can I be involved? What can I give? Can I get to pray for people at the front? Because I'll get a front row seat to lives being changed. Can I help with this? Can I help with that? I became probably the most annoying person in church. Because suddenly I wasn't like when it was like, how much can you give? What can you serve? I wasn't like, well, I don't know. I'm quite busy and I've, I've got stuff. I was like, how do I? How can I? I want to be involved in lives that are being changed. This is an investment in eternity. This is changing lives. And I get to be involved. And I was like, how did I ever think of it, of anything less? I get to be a stakeholder in what God is, do God is doing in this place and changing lives around me. And there's a couple of principles in there that need to change for us. Uh, one was illustrated to me um, with this earlier on this week. I couldn't help but laugh. Um, uh, the call came through. I was in the study, and the call came through from Michelle a couple of days ago. She said, oh, there's this pasta in the fridge. Uh, it's out of date. I'm going to throw it in the bin, but if you want, you can have it for your dinner. 
I thought, great. When the leftovers are good enough for nobody else, they, they, they come to me. I thought, isn't that love? <laughs> There's this principle in Scripture that we don't give God the leftovers of what he's given us. We give him the first fruits. We give him the first fruits because he's our first love. I'm not saying that my marriage is scarred and Michelle doesn't love me, but I had to laugh as I was thinking about this sermon that she's given me the leftovers. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> Waste not, want not. That's how I was brought up. And it was delicious. Um, of course I ate it. <laughs> because I love my wife. Um, we give God out of the first fruits and the best because he's our first love. Not the leftovers when we've spent everything else. And then we come to church and we're like, well, I've got some tissues. <laughs> What's left? I'll give him some of that. No, we demonstrate to God that he's the first in our hearts because we plan and we think, actually, I've got this much and I can give this. And if it means that I need to maybe cut my belt, trim my belt somewhere else, then I'll do that rather than trim my belt on what I give to God. Because otherwise, what would that say about my relationship with him? We give him first fruits. We don't give him leftovers. It's an investment. I, um, <laughs> I saw this news story. I don't know whether any of you did this week. This is Armando. Did you see this? This is Armando. He's a Belgian racing pigeon. He broke a world record this last week. Normally, a racing pigeon uh, goes for about 2,500 pounds, which already is ridiculous. It's a pigeon. Do you know what Armando went for? 1.25 million euros in an auction. <laughs> 1.25 million euros. He's already fathered apparently six chicks. I feel like, um, I, I hope there aren't any racing pigeon enthusiasts here in the room, <laughs> but please, church, uh, whatever your equivalent of a racing pigeon is, <laughs> let's invest in people and not pigeons, please, <laughs> in how we direct our money. Let's get some perspective in a world that is going absolutely nuts. Here are some of the shifts that I had had to have in my own giving, and God's still working on me in this. It's not mine, it's his. It's not my offering, it's my response. God has given us abundant harvest. Jesus has given us everything, literally. His own life, because he loves us. It's not my offering as if I'm blessing God by giving it. It's my response because he's already completely blessed us, overflowingly blessed us. It's not a tax. It's an investment. It's not an obligation. It's a privilege. 
Not leftovers, first fruits. It's not about the church's financial need. It's about my spiritual need. My spiritual need to give to the church is greater than the church's financial need to receive it. My spiritual need to give is greater than the church's financial need to receive it. We need to realize that. This is about freedom. It's not about money. And I look at where we are. um, I'm going to talk about this, practically speaking. (laughs) Uh, Practically, uh, if you'll track me just for a note. um, I want to be really, really clear that um, if you're here and you're financially going through a really difficult time. Again, this is really exciting. I don't need to be apologetic about this. If you're going through a really difficult time, we don't want your money, and you need to be careful. And of course, you need to be prudent. You need to look after the, fun, after the family and stuff. But, but let me tell you, the church has an answer for that. That's why we're here to look after each other in times of difficulty. That's why when we had the Lantern Love Fund, there was a box to say, actually, I could really do with some help at this time. Because the vision for the church is you, don't, you really don't have to worry about this stuff. Because we're here to help if you're in a difficult time. And I'd love there to be a culture at this church where people, if they're genuinely in financial need, they can come to us. We can get you debt advice. We can help that way. We can help financially in a crisis if we need to. That's why we have the Lantern Love Fund. That's why I have a vicar's discretionary fund sometimes that if I need to use for people, and I do, The money that you give goes to help people out of crisis situations. So if you're here and you really are struggling financially, I'm not asking to push you over the edge. Please, I'm not. But do understand this principle, and this is a powerful principle. I mentioned this to Jared, to mention to the young people as well. If you give a lot out of the little that you have, God can do a lot out of the little that you give. That's a spiritual principle throughout the scriptures. Think of the the boy and his five loaves. If you give a lot out of the little that you have, God can do a lot with the little you give. And practically speaking, these words are up on the screen. I want to say to all of us, is there a step that maybe God might be encouraging us on in this? If you give occasionally, could you give regularly in a planned way? If you give regularly already, could you give proportionately? Could you look again at how much you give and whether that really is first fruits and if it's done in a tax mindset or a privilege mindset? If you already give proportionally, could God be calling you to give sacrificially? Because if I'm honest, there have been times in my life, like before kids and when Michelle was working full time, where if we gave proportionally, if we tithed and maybe a bit more, honest truth is we hardly noticed it going out the account. It wasn't that on paper we weren't being, you know, quite generous, but we didn't really notice it. Now, now tithing and maybe a bit more, we'll feel the pinch of that a bit. But then we didn't even really notice it. And so really then we should have been giving more sacrificially. Uh, what for you to decide what's in, uh, what you give. I don't want any involvement. I want to be really clear. The vicar never gets to see what you give. I don't know what you give. I don't know whether you give occasionally or regularly, whether you give proportionally, or whether you give sacrificially. I don't know. And the sense in which I don't care. The, re- the, way I, the reason I do care is because I care about 
your first love, and I care about your freedom. That's my only motivation. It's discipleship. Your spiritual need to give to the church is greater than the church's financial need to receive it. And this is a good guiding verse. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's going to be an opportunity after um, the talk today to, to give. Uh, the bus is going to go around as they normally do. Uh, there's giving um, leaflets on there if you want to. Like Michelle and I have done this week, we've prayed and revised what we're going to give regularly on a monthly basis to the church. Uh, you might be prepared to do that now. If you're not, that's fine. Please don't do it now. Um, I want you to take that with you and think and pray about it this week. Uh, yourself or with your husband or your wife or whatever and think what you might want to give. Or, or not, because you just can't at the moment. And that's fine. But prayerfully decide in your heart to give with these principles. It's an investment. It's a privilege. It's a response. It's not mine, it's his. It's how I steward it. And then next week, perhaps you can give in your... Um, your giving form at the welcome desk or into the collection. But I want to say, as I, um, <coughs> as I close, that there, um, what this church is already doing is amazing for children and for young people. Midweek, uh, Ruth got a lovely email last week about a, a, a mum from the community who comes to the toddler club, who'd have found the toddler club, and just said how much they loved it, how much their children loved it. They were one, Every time they passed the church, they were wanting to come into the church. Um, what happens midweek? What happens on the Alpha course? People's lives being changed, encountering Jesus on that. Parenting for faith. Investing in growing young leaders like Phil and then sending them off. We're proud of him, and we're glad to be able to invest and train. And, and other young leaders, Jared, and other you know, obviously, Sarah and Karen and Ruth are also very young, and we're investing in them. But um, <laughs> we have such a privilege in investing in people to give them away um, for the glory of God. Um, uh, what we do in terms of some of the lonely and the isolate, isolated, what the Hansons do with the Shine Network in this community, uh, mixed blessings and fab, life groups, so many things that make such a difference. Our contributions, I keep getting thank you notes from the guy at the Wimborne Food Bank, from our contributions in different ways. There's so much that's already going on, but I also want to say, church, we're really stretched. The staff team are amazing, but they're really stretched. We're going to be putting out an advert soon for a couple of interns, which we need to be able to to fund and support. There's budget there, but it requires people to give to be able to meet that, to help support some of that. But also, not just support some of that, there's such opportunities for us, church. The diocese are increasingly looking to us to be an influence in other churches, to be what they're calling a resource church. They don't really, I don't think, know what that means yet, so we get to define it for them. But there are opportunities. I was chatting to Paul Brabu, who heads up Paul Missional Communities. I had a lunch with him. And he was already saying, like, Mike, could you do something here? And could you, maybe there's this other estate over here, and might you be able to do something here? And at the moment, I had to say, at the moment, no. I'd kind of love to, but at the moment, right now, I, I don't think we can. Uh, we have, um, uh, tomorrow, we have a community leaders' lunch at um, QE School. 
Uh, we went to the first one of those a few months ago. And uh, as we reflected as a team on that, we thought we could do something here in terms of maybe a kind of like a parenting roadshow. Uh, feeding some, uh, there's an open door for us maybe to go into schools and then invite all the parents along to, to try and give parents some advice on things like how to handle social media and the internet with young people. How to handle conflict and family time in today's screen-saturated world. Just some wisdom, which I actually think we might be well-placed to give. And so we started gathering a team together. Um, and we want to gather a team from wider places. And we don't know what have the, all the answers. But again, all the time I was in that meeting, gathering these people, but I thought, they're so busy already. How are we going to really increase in this? How are we going to release this? How are we going to be that prophetic voice in the community unless we are fundamentally better resourced to be able to do it? I think God is calling us to play our part in something amazing in this place and in this area, in this community and beyond. But church, friends, people of God, that does mean that practically we are going to need to step up in this area of giving. We're going to need to grow in our generosity if we're going to be able to do all that God is calling us to do. And so um, we have an opportunity to make an investment of a lifetime and to play our part in what God is doing here. And I know many of you are generous in all sorts of ways and, and to other things. And you should give to other things and other charities. Michelle and I do as well. Um, but I have to say that for Michelle and I, we have always prioritized giving to our local church because we believe that's what the Bible says. And if we don't give to our local church, then, then who's going to? Usually the people that go to the local church rather than other people in the community that give to the local church, in my experience. So we do unashamedly prioritize our giving in that area. And as God moves us, we'll give to other things. I just want you to, to pray and to decide in your heart what it is that, what part it is that God's calling you to play um, uh, in this, in our community. It's also a perfect opportunity on a practical note for all of us to do it because um, we're in the process of changing bank accounts as a church. So anyone who does give already by standing order, and we're very grateful that you do, you're going to need to change that over to our new bank account. Um, the new bank account details are on our giving form. So you can do that this afternoon. You can go back and just switch it over to that new bank account because um, we need everybody to do that anyway. Um, so now is the perfect opportunity to review your giving to the church. Um, but let's remember this. I really mean it from the bottom of my heart. I don't know what you give, and there's a sense in which I don't care what you give. I care about you and your freedom and your discipleship, that this would be a response rather than offering an obligation. And I'm so excited that I and that you get to play your part in every life that is changed in this place and beyond these walls to the glory of God. Shall we stand? I'm going to pray for us as we close. I'm going to read these last few verses of our reading. And then I'm going to pray and we'll worship together. But seek his kingdom, and all these things, all these other things, will be given to you as well. 
Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for us and for me, for the work you still need to do in my heart, to give me greater freedom in my finances, not by accumulating more, but by recognizing you. Help me to let go more, to be more generous, to trust you that you'll look after me, to capture a vision for an investment in the kingdom of God, giving to those in greater need than myself. Trusting that you'll give me all that I need now and that it will build up a treasure that lasts for eternity in glory. Do not be afraid. 